Our Heavenly Father, we bow here before you. We thank you for this time. Father, we praise you for all that you've done for us. We hear testimonies like Dan's, and we just marvel at the work that you do in a person's life and how you can totally transform somebody. So, Father, we give you praise and glory this morning. We ask now that you go with us into this portion of our service where we are looking into your word, that you would open it up and expose it to us. And, Father, may we ever be changed for having looked at it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's all take a seat. I want to thank Dan for being here and uh, quite a testimony of what God can do in a person's life. And there's a lot of testimonies like that. And like uh, he said, if you want to help out with the call to recovery group uh, here at the church, just let Todd know and he can hook you up with that. I want to begin by jumping right into this passage. We're in a study in Ephesians for those of you that are maybe visiting Ephesians chapter 5, let me read for you verses 15 through 20. Paul said this, he said, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage, he mentions wisdom. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Now, in the Old Testament especially, wisdom is a big subject in the Bible. It was talked about a lot in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And wisdom was always this. The world does their own thing, but a wise person follows what the Lord wants. The wise person does what is right before the Lord. He does what is best in his life. Now, I want to talk to you about something here. Wisdom is not always just doing the right thing. Wisdom goes beyond that. Biblical wisdom is doing what is best in the situation that you're in. Now, it's always the right thing. But if we stop with just doing the right thing, we don't always do what God wants us to do in that given situation. So let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. You may be a a person who's been guilty of partying, getting drunk, doing things you shouldn't have been doing, and the Lord has really convicted you of it. And so the right thing to do is to stop partying, and that's the decision that you've made. I'm going to do the right thing. But maybe the best thing for you and what God is wanting you to do is maybe go to a C2R meeting. Maybe get more involved with people at church. Stop running with the old crowd, that sort of thing. It goes beyond just doing the right thing to doing what is best in your particular situation. Here's another illustration. You are at work or at school and your friends are telling dirty, raunchy jokes And in the past, you've always laughed at it and fit in with the crowd and tried to be a part of the group, but you're deeply convicted and you don't like feeling that way. So you've made a decision that you're not going to listen to those jokes. You're not going to partake of that any longer. You're not going to be a part of that. That's the right thing to do. But the best thing might be, and this is only you know this, the best thing may be that you not only stop with that, but that you also begin to strategize and to think to yourself, how can I best reach these people? And so maybe God is telling you the best thing for you to do is to single out one that seems like he's open and build a bridge with that person. 
and try to help that person and try to help them to know the Lord like you do. But it could be any number of things that you do. Here's another example. You are sexually active and you're committing immorality. We've talked the past couple weeks about that. The right thing to do is to stop. You realize that. God has convicted you and now you've made the decision that you're going to stop. That we're not going to do this anymore. But maybe the best thing to do and what God is trying to lay upon your heart and speak to you and to tell you to do is that you need to break up with that person. Because God knows that if you don't, you're going to be right back in the same situation again pretty soon. So you see, when it comes to wisdom, it's not just doing the right thing, but it goes beyond that. For the believer, the Spirit of God living in you and me as believers, we have the responsibility to listen to the Lord and do what is best for us in this situation. Do what is best for the Lord in this particular situation. And that's what wisdom is all about, is doing that and listening to God and allowing Him to show you. Now, today we're going to be talking about spiritual wisdom and choosing what is best. Now, this theme carries on through the book of Ephesians, all right? Because when we talk about parenting here in another few weeks, um, uh, we're going to be talking about what a wise parent does. What would God have you to do in given situations, and how would you become a better parent? That's wisdom. Um, A marriage, we're going to be talking at length about that. What would God want you to do? in the given situations that you find yourself in, to become the best uh, husband or the best wife that you can possibly be. So you're going to have to make decisions given the situation that you're in, but the right decisions that go beyond just doing the right thing. What does God want me to do? Given what I'm doing wrong right now, how does God want me to respond to what he wants me to do? So this is an important topic. It's an important subject for all of us, but uh, something that we need to look at and examine. Now, let me jump in now with the, I want to make two points today, okay? Two areas where you and I need to be displaying or choosing wisdom in our lives, okay? Here's the first one. You need to stop wasting time. I could just as easily say you need to stop wasting opportunities, and that would fit the context perfectly. But in this passage, Paul tells you and I that this is what we're to do. That you and myself and anyone else that that is a believer, that you and I are to act wisely by not wasting opportunities that God has given us. And we do this, we do this all the time. We get so wrapped up in things of this world that we, and and not bad things, just living life. But we don't take advantage of the opportunities that God has given us. Let me go back now and read you the first couple verses in this passage. He says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, in verses 15 through 17, now watch, he says, Be very careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. He's saying you're going to have to put some thought in this. You're going to have to put thought into this where you are careful about the choices that you're making. That There aren't unwise or ungodly choices, but they're good, wise choices. And you need to think of this through. And here's what he says, and here's what I want to camp on for a moment. You need to make the most of every opportunity, every opportunity that God gives you. We only have a certain number of hours in a day, a certain number of opportunities that pass our way to do something for eternity. 
not just what I want to do, not what's best for me necessarily, but to be thinking in terms of eternity. What does God want of me? That's the best thing that I can do, so what is it? In this particular situation, maybe I'm in school, maybe I'm in uh, the community in some form or fashion with some group, maybe I'm in church, maybe my family. What is it that God wants from me that's going to say something or feed into eternity in some way? Uh, that's the opportunity, and we let them pass by all the time. Uh, we don't take advantage of them. Now watch, because I want to show you two verses that are in different books of the New Testament that basically are saying the same thing. They're talking about taking advantage of opportunities when they come your way. One has to do with the unbeliever. One has to do with the believer. So watch what Paul says, and, and this will kind of help you think through what it is that I'm trying to help you to understand here. It's in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He says this. He says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, there it is again, that word, the opportunities. Making the most of them. But think of the way you act toward unbelievers. That's what he's saying. People that are outside the faith. Sometimes we don't think of that. We don't think about how we act. We don't think about taking advantage of opportunities. Here's what I believe, and I really believe this, that you as a believer, God sends you out into the community, into the schools, into the workplace, and every, everywhere we go, and God brings your way each and every day divine appointments, appointments that God has ordained that in some way you are to reach out, if nothing but to build a bridge to an unbeliever, to respond in love to the unbeliever. It's not necessarily you pounding them with the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about being sensitive to what the Lord is saying and leading, and that you make the decision to make the wise, best choice, given this relationship and where, where you find yourself, and say, okay, Lord, here I am. And this divine appointment, this opportunity that you've given me, I'm not going to let it go by. So when I sense you showing me somebody that needs a healing touch, just to be loved, just to be accepted, just to, be, to hear and, and see what grace is all about, then I've got I've to step over my fears, and I'm going to have to man up, and I'm going to have to step out and do something. Now, that's wisdom. And Paul says you take advantage of every opportunity that you have when it comes to outsiders to act godly and properly and to do the best thing in that given situation, in that particular situation that God has put you in. But then he goes on, now watch this, because this is to the believers and how we respond to them. It's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, now watch. He says, therefore... As we have opportunity, there it is again, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The family of believers now. All right. So he's saying you not only have a responsibility to not waste these opportunities with unbelievers, but there are many times when you have input into the life of believers and you let those opportunities go by as well. You know, kingdom building is not just about sharing the gospel. When you have a, a believer that needs somebody to come along beside them and to lift them up and to strengthen them and to encourage them and to teach them, that's kingdom building. 
you're strengthening and building the church. That's what it's all about. So it's when we talk about taking advantage of the opportunities, we're talking about just as much the influence in the life of other believers as we are the unbeliever. It's you and me listening to the Spirit of God and stepping out to do what is best given the opportunity that God has given to us. And we've got to be sensitive to that. We've got to understand that. So with that in mind, sometimes you're going to find yourself, and it may be in church, it may be out in the community or at work or at school, and you see somebody that's hurting, believer or unbeliever, it doesn't matter. And God just whispers in your ear and he says to you, you need to go over and put your arm around that person. You need to go over and encourage that person. You need to go over and pray with that person. That's being sensitive. That's doing what is best in the given situation. There may be a need in your church for children or youth workers, and you feel the pull of God in your heart. You know that this is what God is leading you to do, and yet there's an opportunity, and you're going to let it go by. And you're going to waste that opportunity for whatever reason. And you're not going to do the best thing what God would have you to do. You're not going to act like a wise person, but really a foolish person. It goes on, the prison ministry, jail ministry, the call to recovery, growth group, Sunday school, worship team, homeless shelters. A lot of things that go on in the church and even outside the church. And there are opportunities and God is speaking to you and God is saying, this is for you. This is the divine appointment I have given to you. And we'll let it just go by. And we found that if we wait long enough, the, that feeling of guilt, it'll go away too. And so we just let those opportunities go by. And God is saying to you and me, he, Paul, in this passage, he's saying, you're very unwise. You're very unwise to let those opportunities go by. Now notice why he says that you and I are to do it. We're going back now to Ephesians chapter 5. Look back at verse 16, for example, and he says this. He says, you're doing it because the days are evil. You make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Things are getting worse, guys, okay? The world is getting worse. The days are becoming more and more evil. There's never been a more important time in history than now for you and me to step up and get involved in the kingdom-building process, I guess, where you and I begin to see the importance of our input, our giftings, our abilities. And we don't just sit back and act in an unwise fashion, but we, we step up and we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do the best thing in this given situation to spread the gospel or to encourage somebody, whatever the case may be, but I'm going to do what you've told me to do. In the very next verse, in verse 17, he says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish. You see, when we let the opportunities go by, the Bible says we're acting like fools. That those opportunities are there for us to take and to, to use. And we as believers, we don't. And I want you to make note of this, because I'll be coming back to this later in the passage. But here in verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but now listen, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
In other words, don't be foolish about letting the opportunity go by, but understand what it is that God wants. God has a plan here. God has an appointment here. God's given you the opportunity. Now, don't let it go by, but understand it. Now, see, this is a big issue because I've heard a lot of Christians say, well, I'd, how do I understand what it is that God wants me to do? How do I know that? How do I see it? And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But going back to this, this first point is very simple. Part of being a wise person, according to the Scriptures, is that you don't waste those opportunities. You don't waste the time. Now let me jump into the second one real quick. The second one is this. A wise person takes control of their lives. So take control of your life. Take control of your life. Now watch, and you'll see where I'm coming from with this. And you've got to pay attention on this one, okay? In verse 18, he says this. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery. Man, what is that? What, is, what does that mean? It just means that something that you do in excess because your life is out of control. In other words, you've allowed something to get out of control. In the Old Testament, or even in the New Testament as well, they drank wine for, for their meals. And people debate back and forth whether it was alcoholic or not. It doesn't really matter. The point is this. He's saying don't get drunk. Don't let it get out of hand. Because it leads to a, a control issue. You're losing control. Now, the same thing in this day and age could be said about alcohol, like Dan just said. It could be said about drugs, food, sex, anything. Anything that you have allowed to, be, to become a problem that you have gotten is out of control now, and it is controlling you rather than you controlling it. And we do it to everything. We, we are a people of excess, and we let that happen. Now, the right thing is for you to take control. That's what you should do. Take control of your life, get a handle on what's wrong, and correct it. The best thing is to go beyond that. And the best thing is for you to give control to the Spirit of God. You see, this is what he's saying here. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. That's the right thing to do. But instead, why don't you do this? Why don't you be filled with the Spirit? Now, what does that mean, to be filled with the Spirit? A lot of erroneous teaching has risen because of this passage. We have the idea that somehow God is telling us that we don't have all of the Spirit. You don't have all of the Spirit, so somewhere there's somehow another step here that you take to get more of the Spirit. I want to tell you something, and this is biblical. You've got all of the Holy Spirit you're going to get. When you, were, when you became a believer and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were indwelt with the Spirit, and God gave you everything. This is what the Scripture says. He has given you everything for life and godliness. You have it already. That's not the question, do I have enough of the Spirit? The question is this, does the Spirit have all of me? See, that's what it boils down to. Does the Spirit have all of me? And when he talks here about being filled with the Spirit, this basically is what he's talking about. This idea of being filled is the same idea of being controlled. Now watch. If somebody that you know is acting irrationally and just consumed with anger, 
and just out of control. They are just spitting mad. How do we describe that? We say that person is filled with anger. You see what we've done? We're using the term filled to depict somebody whose life's out of control. We do the same thing with other things, like lust. A person that is into a lot of things that they shouldn't be doing, we say about that person they're filled with lust. means simply that they're allowing lust to control their lives. That's how we use the term. You could do that with anything. You could do that with hatred. You could do it with love. They're filled with love, meaning that love controls them. So when, when he talks here about being filled with the Spirit, he's not talking about somehow fit, getting yourself filled up with the Spirit again. A lot of Christians read into that, that that's what that means, and it's led to a lot of misunderstandings about things. But that's not the case. It simply means that you are giving control to the Spirit of God. You are being filled or controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, I want to share something with you. And you know, if you've listened to my messages for any length of time, I don't use or explain or talk about Greek words, mainly because I was in seminary 35 years ago, and I forgot it all, okay? Just saying. But I know where to find it if I need it. Now, I hate for somebody, when I'm talking to somebody, and they say, well, the Greek says this. Because who's going to argue if you don't know Greek, you know? It kind of shuts off the argument when they do that. So I rarely ever do it. But I'm going to do it today because it's important, okay? So let me show you a little bit of my education, all right? All right? And don't ask me to repeat it because I won't remember it, all right? But this word, be filled, this is a unique word. And you need to understand now. In the Greek, when there's a Greek word, the um, interpretation of that Greek word depends on the prefixes and the suffixes. You've got a root word, then you put a prefix and a suffix on it that makes it different. It determines the, the, the meaning. Now, here's what, if you look at this word in Greek, here's what you learn from it, okay? There's a thing in Greek called the mood of the word. It's an imperative which means that it's a command. And you don't know that except by looking at the word. You're being commanded to do something. This is not a suggestion. So Paul is saying here, or God is saying to you, that you are commanded to be filled. Also, it's a plural form, which means that he's talking to everybody. All of you there in Ephesus are to be filled. Not just some of you, not a select few. All of you are to be filled with the Spirit. The most important thing I want you to see about this is that it is the passive voice. It's not active, it's passive. Active would be like me saying to you, the the batter hit the ball. Passive would be the batter was hit by the ball. He just stood there, did nothing, got hit by the ball. That's passive. Well, oddly enough, that's what he's telling you here. He's not saying go out and fill something up. He's saying just sit there and be filled. This is a command to everybody that you do this. It's an imperative and that you are to allow yourself to be filled by the Spirit of God. And then lastly, it's present tense, which means that it's a continuous action. It's not something that you do one time and it's over. It's a continuous every day on top of this. You're being filled by the Spirit of God. You are allowing yourself to be filled by God. Now, if I were to put all of that in a statement, 
to try to capture all of that here would go something like this. The Lord commands all of you to keep on each and every day, allowing the Holy Spirit to control your life. That's kind of what it would mean. But in this passage, Paul says, be filled. And this, again, has led to some confusion over what it's talking about. All right, so how is it that I do that? I'm being told not to go do something. I'm being told to allow something. So how do I do it? See, that's the question. And this is the question everybody has. There's no secret formula here, okay? I wish I could give you a formula. Do this, this, and this, and you'll be filled by the Spirit. But it's not that simple. It's not difficult, but it's not simple in the sense of doing a formula. It's a daily process each and every day of pursuing God. Every day you're pursuing God. You're looking to God. You're turning to God. You're expecting something from God. You are allowing God to do His work in you. Now, this is an important point, okay? The Spirit of God will always do His job. Okay? You need to understand that. We get off on this tangent sometimes of believing that we have to pray hard to get God to do what God's already said He'll do. And then I've got to pray through, and I've got to beg, and I've got to plead, and I've got to cry out. If I do that hard enough, then God will respond to me. But yet He's told here, and we're commanded to be filled, to allow the Spirit of God to do this. Now this is important, okay? Because when, our, when, when you're being told to allow the Spirit of God to do something to you, these are the words that come into play here, okay? Words like confession. It's an important part of being filled with the Spirit. When God convicts me of something I'm doing, I immediately deal with it. I confess. Words like surrender. I'm in a situation when I feel the prompting of God in my heart and I know that God wants me to do something and I, I just I don't want to, but I surrender. And God just takes control. Words like um, submit. Submitting to something that I really disagree with or I'm scared of or I'm I'm afraid of. But God says like a, a master, a slave would submit to his master. You're submitting. Okay, God. Your way. Your way. Words like yielding. I have a right to be happy, Lord. God says, no, you don't. You have the right to follow me. And so I yield to that. I yield my rights. I give up and I say, Lord, then it's, it's your way. It's your life. I belong to you. Words like seeking. Words like stop quenching. Very important. How many times we're told in the Scripture, just, hey, stop, get out of the way and stop quenching or stopping or preventing God working. The Bible says in Philippians, it said this, He who began a good work in you will continue it until the day that God calls you home. God's going to do what He does. You don't have to ask for it. All you have to do is agree with it and go along with it. And so each and every day, you see, we get up and we make a decision. The best thing for me today, the wise thing for me today, is to walk with you, Lord, and allow you to have your way. Just to be filled. 
the unwise, the foolish thing. It's for me to quench that. For me to somehow throw a wet towel over that and say, okay, I'm going to do it my way today. Foolish. And this is what he's telling us here. Now I want to show you a passage that I have preached on before. I've used it numerous times and to back up as far as other passages. It's something that you all know, but I want you to look at it with me in a different light, okay? It's in the book of Romans, chapter 12. It's in verses 1 and 2. Now watch. Paul says to the Romans, he says, Therefore, I urge you. In other words, he's not a, it's not a suggestion. He says, no, I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, as you look out and you see what God has done in your life, in view of that, here's what I want you to do. I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, what's he saying? Same thing he said to the Ephesians. He said, when you look at all that God's done for you and how God has blessed you and how God has given you all of this grace that he's given you and what he has in store for you when you get to heaven, he said, you need to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice to say to God each and every day, here I am. Here I am. Now you feel me. You control me. You guide me. Because I'm here and I'm yours. I acknowledge that I've been bought with a price. I acknowledge that you have died for me and now I present back to you as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on in verse 2. Now watch. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't do what everybody else does. He says, but instead do this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now there it is again, that passive thing. He didn't tell them to go out and do something. He said, be transformed. It's something that God's going to do to you. Guys, don't let some preacher tell you that you have the power to transform your life. You don't. God does. You have within you the, the, the power to make a wise choice. And I told you before, it's all about choices that we make. But the transformation comes from God. It is a spiritual transformation. Dan just gave a testimony that for 30 years now he's been clean. Dan didn't do that. He'll be the first to tell you. But God working in him did. He made choices along the way that allowed the Spirit of God to empower him and to transform him. And so here we are, and he's saying, I want you to be transformed. And when you do that, when you present yourself when you offer yourself to God, when you are filled with the Spirit and God is a transforming you and leading you, guiding you, watch what happens. Look at here it is, the last sentence of that passage. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, the big question for Christians is this. God, what do you want me to do? Lord, what am I supposed to do about this marriage? What am I supposed to do about my children? What am I supposed to do about work? What am I supposed to do, Lord? I want you to lead and guide me. So what do I do? And he's telling you that when you allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit, when you allow God to take control, when you allow God to lead you and guide you, then you'll know 
what the will is. You take a person who's being filled with the Spirit and every day they get up and they start their day out walking with the Lord and they're committed to walk with Him and when they stumble and fall and they sin, they, they confess and they get up and they keep going and they're expecting God to do something in their lives. They're allowing God to work in their lives. They know what the next step is because the Spirit of God tells them. But it all comes back to you and me making the wise choices. And we don't always do that. What happens? What happens when a person does this? Let's go back. Let me close this up, okay? Go back now to Ephesians chapter 5. Now watch this, okay? Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at verses 19 and 20. Now in verse 18, he just told us to be filled with the Spirit. But now he tells you this is what this looks like. This is the result. Now watch. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, be filled with the Spirit. And here's what it's going to look like. Here's going to be the result. You're going to be singing. You're going to be talking about the Lord. You're going to be worshiping. You're going to be praising. You're going to be praying. You're going to be studying the Word. You're going to be loving people. And the joy of Jesus is just going to ooze out of you. And you're going to be so happy. This description here in these two verses, in verses 19 and 20, this description of this individual, my gosh, do you think this man or woman is happy? You think they're exhibiting joy? Yeah. All because the Spirit of God is filled or taking control of their lives. This is what wisdom, according to Scripture, is all about. Making choices to do the best thing. The best thing, first of all, according to what we've seen this morning, is to not waste the opportunities that God gives you. Stop letting them go by, but you, you make the most of them. But the second thing that he says is that the best thing is to do this, that you allow the Spirit of God to fill and control you. Because when you allow that to happen, everything changes. And what you thought you couldn't do or were afraid to do, you can do it. You will be amazed at the things that you can do. Apostle Paul said, look, I can do all things through Christ, everything. What about this? Yep, I can do that. What about that? Yep, I can do that. Why? Because He strengthens me. He leads me, He guides me, He controls me. He transforms me. Yeah, I can do it all. Guys, there's nothing that you and I cannot do when led of God to do it. And we've got to understand that. Because it's going to come back now to the choices that we make every day. Will we be foolish or will we be wise? And that's what it boils down to. My prayer is that all of us, myself included, each and every day, will make wise decisions to live for the Lord and walk with Him faithfully that day. And I believe with all my heart that when we do, we begin to see our lives change in ways that we can only dream of. Only God can do that. Only God can transform you. But it's up to you to let Him. You have to let Him. That's what I'm asking of you.
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I'm asking that each and every one of you will really take a a good long look at your life and ask yourself this. Am I a foolish person or am I wise? What is it that is predominant in my life? Most of the time I feel like I'm selfish and self-centered and I only want a little bit of God, maybe on Sunday. I'm challenging you this morning to be wise and to make godly decisions. To be wise and let God control your life. To be wise and let the Lord Jesus transform you into what he wants you to be. But you have to understand that choice belongs to you by simply allowing it to happen. God is faithful. God will do his job. You have to believe that. Paul said we live, the just live by faith. We believe that God will do his job. But lest you and me do ours, let's be filled with the Spirit. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, I want to thank you for not only your grace that saved our souls, that says to us that when we put our faith in you, you give us eternal life. But Lord, the grace, the love, the mercy that helps and enables us as believers to be transformed. Father, I pray for every one of us that is here today that, Father, we would be transformed. Regardless of what is going on in our lives, what we're like, where we are in our walk with you, that, Father, tomorrow and every day thereafter, we would be different people. Fill us, Father. Take control of us as we surrender more of our lives to you. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.